Yesterday, I was with a patient who is a PhD student. Very nice, very educated, but she was very anti-medication. Not anti-physician, thankfully, but anti-medication. And really, I mean, who can argue with that? I mean, her point is, look, I think antibiotics and antifungals are just way overused. And she's absolutely right. This is how we've ended up with this whole issue of antimicrobial resistance. And that even includes antifungal resistance. Well, the short of it is, she had some vaginal discharge, a little bit of external itching, and wanted to confirm whether or not it was the yeast infection. Thankfully, she came in for an eval. Well, sure enough, she had evidence of candida vaginalis, but didn't want a typical azole medication. Wanted something much more, quote, natural to use. So quickly I reached for my little bottle of Gent Violet. Yep, Gent Violet's been around for centuries and still around today. One of my nurses who was in the room said, oh, that's what that's for. And the answer was yes. Now, it's not that easy. There's lots to cover here. But I thought in this podcast, I would cover the use of Gent Violet for the purple vagina. Oh boy, will it turn that vagina purple for sure. But does it actually work for Canada vaginalis? Well, we're going to figure that out in this session. But more importantly, and what I want to focus on is this question. Is Gent Violet safe? I mean, if you look online, there's some issues that it causes cancer in animals. Well, we're going to answer that and hopefully put that to rest in this session. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves fast. This is Clinical Pearls. All right, podcast family, you know that candida vaginalis is not rare. I mean, it's just out there. It's really common. Actually, it's the second most common cause of vaginitis behind bacterial vaginosis. And 29 to 49% of all females will report at least one lifetime episode. Sadly, of those women who experienced that one lifetime episode, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Just like BV, up to 30 to 40% may experience recurrent episodes. Complicated vulvovaginal candidiasis is defined as those recurrent vaginal yeast diagnoses. ACOG defines recurrent vulvovaginal yeast as four or more infections in the immediate preceding 12 months. Complicated vulvovaginal candidiasis also includes any severe condition, and it also includes infection with any non-candida albicans species. The final category of complicated vulvovaginal candidiasis includes those conditions that happen in immunocompromised patients like HIV patients or those that are on immunosuppressive medications or who have uncontrolled diabetes. Well, here's the issue. Of course, we all love our Diflucan. I mean, super easy, right? Take one pill, it stays in the vulvovaginal tissue for about 72 hours, and that's all you do, and you go on your way. Well, of course, it's happened that because of likely overuse, the prevalence of fluconazole-resistant Candida albican species is on the rise. This was actually just presented at the Infectious Disease Society for Obstetrics and Gynecology, which had its annual meeting August 4th through the 6th in 2022. Yeah, there's actually an Infectious Disease Society for Obstetrics and Gynecology. 
Here's the issue. The CDC's treatment recommendation for recurrent vulvovaginal candidiasis is fluconazole induction therapy, which is three 150 milligram doses every three days. Remember, it stays into the system for three days. That's why it's every 72 hours. And then using a tablet once a week for six month maintenance as a prophylactic regimen. That's a lot of fluconazole. And if you actually read the fine print on that recommendation, it says, yeah, we are a little concerned about the possibility of causing resistance, but we got to get rid of it somehow. Well, that's one of the issues. Because of that, there's growing concern that this common usage is causing this fluconazole resistant candida albicans condition. Okay, now hold on a minute. I got to back that off a little bit because I got no beef with the CDC, okay? I've got great friends who work in the women's health division there. So if you're listening, thank you for what you do. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus. It's right out of the CDC recommendation. But it's true. Anytime that we use any medication, whether it's antibacterial, whether it's antiviral, and that causes it to a new viral strain, we know how that's been going, or even to an antifungal, I mean, that's how organisms self-preserve themselves, right? They find reasons. Resistance. So this new data out of that August Infectious Disease Society has found just that, that we originally considered fluconazole resistance as a non-candida albicans issue like candida glabrata or candida tropicalis, something else, but not candida albicans. Well, now that resistance is making its way into the traditional candida albicans species. Now, here's a good place in the podcast to just remind everybody of what not to do. Look, I trained with this issue, all right? So it was a nurse call and we get a little slip of paper. Hey, Miss Johnson, whatever, Miss Jones. If there's a Johnson or Jones listening, it's not you. Just relax. It's just used for example purposes. Anyway, so we have a patient who has vaginal discharge. She's really itchy down there. She knows it's, she just knows it's yeast infection. She's asking, please order her Diflucan. And you know what? We did. All right, great. I'll call at the end of the day. Give me a pharmacy phone number and I'll call it in. Without an exam, that's not a good idea. Even in the ACOG practice bulletin 215 on vaginitis in the non-pregnant patient, it says, quote, Patient self-diagnosis of common vaginitis is not recommended because of its limited accuracy and the non-specific nature of bubble vaginal symptoms. Patients with vaginitis symptoms should present to a clinician for evaluation, particularly patients who have already self-treated for presumed vulvovaginal candidiasis with a non-prescription over-the-counter antifungal medication and who still have symptoms, end quote. All right, let's get back on track. So with all of these growing concerns, there's renewed interest in old historic therapies. Look, boric acid is a thing. Please don't have patients eat that. That's potentially toxic. But boric acid capsules in gelatin at 600 milligrams applied once daily is an effective tool not just for BV, but also for yeast. But that's not the focus of this podcast. I wanted to focus on the purple vagina just because it just happened to me yesterday. And yes, we made a mess everywhere. This issue of gentian violet It's nothing new. It's quite historic. And I'm going to cover that history in a minute because it's kind of fascinating. And I actually remember, and I'm not old, guys, all right? Don't you all give me that. I am not old. (laughs) But I remember when we would put that little purple dye, that gentian violet, on the umbilical cord stump of babies as they left the hospital to prevent 
uh, overpopulation of yeast. And for babies who had oral thrush, I mean, it would actually put a little bit of gent violet all over their gingiva. They had purple mouths. Um, still can be done, but the oral use is kind of, kind of falling out of favor because of some systemic absorption. That's not the case with traditional vaginal application. So that's my focus here. All right. The safety of it, because there's been some kind of confusion about gentian violet and cancer risks. Oh, everybody's just stopped. If they're driving, they just stopped the car right now because they're like, what? No. So I want to I want to clarify this because there's a lot of confusion out there and gentian violet is still available. I mean, my goodness, it's over the counter. So I want to cover all the safety data more than the efficacy. And I'll tell you why coming up next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's why I want to cover the safety profile of appropriately used vaginal application of gentian violet rather than the efficacy. And it's very easy. I'm very data driven. I'm all about the data. We just don't have a lot of published data on large trials. We have a lot of anecdotal and case reports, but we really just don't have any prospect or even retrospective studies on it. And, and I don't know why that is. Actually, one of the latest data on the use of gentian violet for vaginal yeast comes in 2022. It was just published by Chaya Chinda. I know I probably said that wrong, but it's Chaya Chinda in the Journal of Obstetrics Gynecology. Not the green journal. There's actually a different Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. The title of this new publication is, quote, The Effect of Intravaginal Gentian Violet for Acute Vaginal Candidiasis Treated with a Single Dose of Oral Diflucan, end quote. Now, this was an RCT. So wait a minute. First, if you're thinking, well, why would you do both? Well, it's because of that potential resistance of oral fluconazole. So that's why these authors at a randomized trial, patients with documented yeast, all got oral fluconazole. But then those randomized to gentian violet had the vagina painted with this dye. And we're going to go over that in just a minute. Well, what did the results say? Well, adding gentian violet to a single oral 200 milligram, not 150, but 200 milligram dose of fluconazole resulted in quicker resolution of symptoms. Now, these were all acute vaginal candidiasis. These weren't recurrent episodes. But the authors did make the final statement, quote, as gentian violet is widely and easily accessible and speculum examination with or without microscopy is the main diagnostic tool of vaginal candidiasis, the single application of gentian violet seems doable in real-life practice. This simple antiseptic solution can accelerate symptom resolution, end quote. Now, outside of that 2022 publication, kind of pushing or advocating for gentian violet, and outside of anecdotal case reports, we don't have large bodies of evidence. So I know what you're saying. Look, Chopper, that's not like you. Why, why then are you doing that? Well, because it's been used for centuries. I still use it. it. It does seem to work, although it's anecdotal. And again, that's not my focus here. I wanted to focus on the safety. And the safety is important because if you look up gentian violet online, 
shoot, you can get that stuff on Amazon. You can get everything on Amazon. Not a plug for Amazon. But the idea is it's readily available. So you've got to know if patients ask you, like my patient asked, wait, purple vagina, great. I don't care what it looks like. I'm not even sexually active right now. Paint it on. (laughs) But is it safe? So I entered through this discussion. And I thought, wow, if we're having this discussion here, I'm sure others don't know about the data on cancer and how it's often misapplied in humans. So that's why I want to focus on safety over efficacy. By the way, when I grew up, I grew up on the border of Texas, okay, border of Texas and Mexico, uh, obviously Hispanic family. And I was raised by my two paternal aunts, right? Without going into too much, my father died when I was a kid. A lot of family issues. So my two paternal elderly aunts took me in. I love them like my two mothers. They were fantastic. But I remember that whenever I had a cut or scrape, they always reached for two things. I mean, my skin was either purple or red (laughs) because they had gent violet that they'd apply to me. I just didn't know what it was. But I remember this purple dye and I'd walk around for like a week with purple on my face because that's what they did. Look, we didn't have any money. We didn't go to doctors. We just didn't have those resources. I mean, those were things that people with money did. I remember them telling me that. Um, And they said, oh, no, we've got this stuff. (laughs) And then the red uh, was something that we'd always called monkey blood, (laughs) which obviously, relax, it's not monkey blood, but it's basically a concentrated form of iodine. (laughs) Uh, And so I'd either get uh, the red splotches or the purple splotches and my friends whose you know fa- whose parents had you know, normal jobs i mean my aunts were retired uh you know they all had prescriptions and went to medicine i thought man look how weird that is isn't that weird how life turns out now i'm giving out prescriptions the history of gentian violet is pretty fascinating gentian violet has a long and varied history as a medicinal agent Historically, it's been used as an antibacterial agent, as an antifungal, and recent reports have even shown it to be anti-triposomal. Yep, that's like anti-syphilis, although it's not yet approved for that. It's crazy what's out there. It has shown some antiviral properties, and in certain concentrations, it has even been shown to be anti-angiogenic. Gent violet is also known as crystal violet. Synthesis of gent violet has been attributed to a French chemist, Charles Loth, back in 1861, who sold it under the name Violet de Paris. Then it was popularized by George Gruber, who was a pharmacist and started advocating its use in 1880. In 1884, Hans Gram, from where we get the Gram stain, noted the irreversible fixation of gent violet by Gram-positive bacteria. Yeah, that became the whole basis of his Gram stain. Is that wild or what? Gent violet was then introduced as an antiseptic in 1891 by stealing. After its initial introduction and initial adoption, I mean, people went nuts with this thing. They started using it for all sorts of stuff. In 1925, Hinton used gent violet intravenously in 12 patients with severe sepsis from gram-positive organisms. And he said, hey, wow, look, seven patients improved. The others died, but seven patients actually got better. Yeah, please don't give gent violet IV. 
for bacteria and yeast, as we're applying it here to vaginal yeast infections, it seems that gentian violet, we now know, can actually form a covalent adduct with theoredoxin 2, which inhibits pathogen growth. And for yeast, it tends to keep spores from activating. So there is some true antifungal activity that was never known initially. Now, here's a clinical pearl. If you're going to use gent violet for the vagina, concentrations of gent violet should be no greater than 1% because greater than 1%, they can be very irritating and drying to the delicate tissues of the vagina. Also, gent violet, there's no way around it, is super messy. It will stain everything. So if patients are going to elect to do this at home, they've got to be told to use gloves when applying it and to make sure that they don't apply it directly with their fingers because their fingers will turn purple for a while, but that they can actually soak a tampon in the dye without getting it super saturated and then applying it inside the vagina. By the way, tell patients it's best to insert it over the toilet so they don't get it on their floor. But if they are going to apply it over the floor, to apply dark towels because in case that material leaks from the tampon as it's being compressed inside the vagina, it will leak and can stain white floors. As disclosure, there is no one way to do this. Most state that they can apply gent violet at least once a week, either at home or a clinician can apply it in the office. And remember, it's not just vaginal. The important thing is to paint the vestibule inside the inner labia minora that can serve as a reservoir for candida. So it's not just the vagina. They got to get that outside area too. Gent Violet, as I mentioned earlier, is available over the counter. And I'm going to get into that in terms of its safety in just a minute. But remember that there's no one way to do it. Some level C opinion, remember that's expert opinion, state that it can be done as much as once daily, but it's advised not to use more than one time a day because multiple uses throughout the day can cause a lot of vaginal irritation. It's also a desiccant, which dries the vagina and can, well, almost give a chemical burn. So at the most frequent is once daily, typically at night, and at the minimum, it's once a week. The duration also varies from uh, five days if it's doing daily or once a week for three to four weeks. And there's also acute therapies for yeast. And then there's maintenance protocols. So there's not one way to do it. Just make sure not to overdo it. And if you want to spread it out, then doing it at least once a week is okay. Here's also a clinical pearl. Tell patients, of course, that they cannot have sex after the immediate application or if they're doing it daily until that application is done and wait three days after the last painting. The reason is because their partner's penis, fingers, or lips, or whatever else is going into the vagina will also turn purple. Not to mention the fact that because the vagina is very desiccated, it's very dry, then micro tears have been noted to occur with gent violet. And if the dye gets into those tears can cause, well, a temporary tattoo. And let's wrap this up. Does gent violet cause cancer? The answer is yes. Whoa, what? Yes, yes, it does cause cancer when taken orally in supra, I mean supra, therapeutic doses. Yeah, here's what happened. So in some animal studies, poor little lab mice or rats or whatever they were, were fed gent violet multiple times throughout the day for consecutive weeks. Well, what do you think happened? I mean, it's a chemical. 
Yeah, they got cancer. They had some weird tumors in a variety of organ sites. But here's the good news. It doesn't seem to apply with vaginal topical application in the standard formula. All right, so here's the data. All right, let me de-stress everybody from saying that this caused cancer. All right, I've already said it. This was in animal models that were fed supra-therapeutic doses that would never happen in human use. All right, so first of all, first lesson, don't have your patients eat it uh, and don't have them eat it multiple times throughout the day. Is that fair? One of the most recent safety meetings that reviewed this data was held by the HSA. That's the Health Science Authority from Singapore. They met in May of 2020, and that report is available at hsa.gov.sg. The HSA reviewed the available scientific literature and noted that the current evidence on the carcinogenicity of gentvilet has mainly been observed with high-dose oral exposure to the agent in animal studies. Tumors were observed in various organs like the liver, thyroid, and even the reproductive area. However, two years of oral exposure to high doses of gentvilet was given in these rats and mice. There was insufficient evidence after the HSA's review to suggest that the same cancer-causing effect with those oral dose high exposures in animals can be extrapolated to low dose external applications of gentvilet in humans. Now here's the good news. Here's the clinical pearl, okay? Quote, to date, there have been no local or international reports of cancer definitively linked with gentvilet topical vaginal use in humans after use in typical formulations. Boy, that's a lot of words. The short of it is, if you use it right in the vagina for the shortest time possible, don't overdo it, and definitely don't eat the darn paint, then you're likely going to be very safe. Now, if you're still uncomfortable with that, I totally get it. However, remember that we've used this thing for centuries and the US FDA still allows the sale of gent violet over the counter. We can't leave the podcast without discussing Brexafeme. Brexafeme is a new novel antifungal that's not fluconazole based and is specifically made and designed to fight against this fluconazole resistance. And that's great. Brexafeme is 300 milligrams twice a day for one day. Now, it only comes in a tablet of 150 milligrams. So they had to take two tablets to equal 300 milligrams twice a day. So it's four tablets total. All right. So two tablets taken once and then two tablets taken later for a total of 600 milligrams for one day use. However, Brexafeme is contraindicated during pregnancy, and if you're going to give this medication to reproductive age patients, they have to have effective contraception because it has been known to cause fetal harm based on animal studies. So the manufacturer of Brexafeme states, prior to initiating treatment, it's important to verify that the patients are not pregnant and they have to be advised to use effective contraception during this medication. Now, I did not offer my patient Brexafeme because if you remember, she was anti-traditional medication. I did talk to her about it, but she declined. So it's important to remember that it's all about patient selection. Not every patient qualifies for Gentian Violet. Not every patient will qualify for Brexafeme. 
But it's all about that shared decision-making and finding the right medication for the patient. And no, I'm not anti-fluconazole. I think it's a great choice when used correctly. So in a patient who's had her first yeast infection, you know, fluconazole may work because she's, she's not been exposed to that medication over various episodes. So just remember that take home. There's a right medication for the right patient based on her history and shared decision making. And yes, I'm thankful for Brexifeme. I didn't forget about it, but our patient wanted something that was not traditional antifungal medication. All right, podcast family, we have talked about the purple vagina. No, it's not right for everyone. But if somebody who's kind of wants a purple vagina, <laughs> like my patient did, it's fine. And now you have a hopefully a little bit more clarity, a little bit more info about patient selection and the use of Gent Violet. Man, been around for over a century. And yep, still available over the counter today. As always, we're thankful for you. Thanks for being part of our podcast family. And we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.